0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I just put Dan on the spot, told him he had to stay up here with me for a little bit. And uh, by the way, if you don't know who Dan is, Dan Cutworth, he's our ministry intern at this point in time. He's learning ministry as he's serving in it. And uh, so that's always a great opportunity. So Dan, come over here. All right. Uh, Now what I'm going to have you do here is is I want you to turn sideways like this. And just relax. And then in a moment I'm going to tell you just to fall backwards. And I'm going to catch you. (laughs) How do you feel about this? Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, then you, you come back, okay? All right, here we go. One, two. Uh, okay, wait, wait just a minute. Um, now, what would make you choose to go ahead and actually fall back if I had said three? Because I trust you. You trust me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I sure pretty. I hope I can trust you. Right, okay, so, all right, so you said you would do that. All right, I'm, I'm not gonna do that, I don't wanna hurt my back, so. But, oh. here, here, here's what I do want you to do, because I've only got one shot at this, I figure, right? Okay, so turn around, right here, like this. And I'm coming down here. And, and I'm gonna catch you on three, ready? One, two, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Okay. Now, were you as excited about that as you were at the... Nope. F- no. All right, you can go sit down. Give Dan a hand. He's very brave there. Uh, but you can see, I mean, you know, he's thinking falling here. If, if, first of all, he thinks I'll probably catch him, right? And I probably will. Uh, but he also knows if he falls here, this, if the price isn't What? It's not too big, I mean, you know, things don't go the way he thought they would. It's not as big as you thought. So he was kind of willing to take that risk. But here, that's another story, right? Because this is a lot bigger deal to depend on me to catch him. And, And what we're seeing here is an illustration for us of oftentimes the struggles we have as Christians in depending on God. Because what we believe about God and what we believe about what's going on around us prevents us from depending Him, depending on Him the way that we ought to. And so that's what we're gonna look at in the Word today, a story that's a really cool story. When I use the word story, I don't mean make-believe. There are true stories, right? And these are true stories that we're looking at from the Word of God. And we're gonna be looking at the life of Gideon here today and one specific part of his life. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Judges. Judges chapter six. And if you uh, don't have a Bible with you today, uh, that's that's fine. But we encourage you to follow along with us by picking up one of the Bibles from under the chairs there in front of you. Don't worry about trying to find where things are. I'm gonna give you the page numbers. We're gonna be on page 282 to start with. Uh, And we do encourage you to follow along because it just makes it that much easier for you to um, get what we're trying to say here today. So let me encourage you to do that. Judges chapter six. So Israel has already entered the land. We saw last week they started at Jericho and did that. Uh, So let's read here now in verse number one. It says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, so let's just stop there for just a moment and talk. Uh, Here we are about a hundred, maybe a hundred years after Jericho, which we talked about last week. And um, so Israel is coming to the land. They've taken possession of the land for the most part. They're living there. but you remember God had told them to get rid of all the stuff related to the Amorites because the Amorites, you know, were wicked and had their, their, their false religions that were very uh, seductive to people. And um, they didn't do that in the land completely. And so if, if we were to read all of the, the passage today, which we don't have time to do, we would discover that this evil that he's talking about is they began to include the worship of one of the false gods of um, the land of Canaan along with the worshiping of the true God. And by the way, that never goes good for us. That never goes well for us when we bring something else into worship. Um, And we said, well, we wouldn't do that. You know I mean? We we grew up in a culture that largely for several hundred years has been affected by a Judeo-Christian worldview. We don't have statues that we really, you know, worship or... False gods or things, place we go take sacrifice. So it seems kind of foreign to us. But what is an idol? An idol really is anything that you allow to take the place of God in your life. And it doesn't, you, you might not let that happen much of anywhere, but this one area of your life, you've chosen to let this, whatever it is, whether it's your pleasure, your security, Your significance, whatever. This one area of life you've chosen to let that rule your life instead of God. What have you done? You've brought in an idol along with your worshiping of God. And you're trying to worship both together. And that's what was going on here. Israel had brought in another God and was worshiping this other God beside the true God, alongside the true God. All right, so let's read. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So they had to go hide in the mountains. So let's go to that, that map and we'll uh, just do a little quick review. Here they had they'd been in this part of Egypt. If you remember, during the Exodus they had come down all the way down here. Uh, the, the Pharaoh and his army had ended up following. They had crossed the Red Sea here, miraculously, into the wilderness. This is the wilderness area. And this is the land of Midian. And, and Amalek and the Amalekites live here too. But this is where, this area here that Israel spent the next 40 years. Okay? And what was happening, go to that next map, is that Midian here, go ahead and go to the next map. The Midianites had were starting. They'd come up and they would cross over into the land of Israel, okay. And because they were like, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, they they moved around a lot, okay. Nomads. Nomads. Yeah, there was a nomadic kind of existence, a Bedouin kind of existence there. But so they would come into Israel and and uh, take the produce and things. So let's read on. This is what's going on. So it was whenever Israel had sown. Midianites would come up also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. When it says destroy the produce what it means they were taking it from themselves and whatever was they they weren't leaving anything behind. Verse 5. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So things got really bad. You can imagine if every time you plant and you, 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 know, you work and cultivate and it's coming down toward harvest time and then all of a sudden this invading people come in and take it all, right? You get impoverished. You, you end up in a, in a big mess. And this was happening. Now, why was this happening? Because they had allowed something else in their life, and they began to uh, worship another God, trying to worship another God alongside the true God, for some reason choosing to depend on something else other than God. And so God, really God shows them that they are totally dependent on Him by not protecting them by allowing this to happen. And so God is, the word is chastising them so that they might learn something. And we're gonna focus in today and see what those things are. Let's go on down to verse 33. By the way, they cried out to the Lord and I would say to you at that point they hadn't connected the dots yet. They had not connected the fact that this is happening in my life because we have allowed this other uh, God into our, our worship. And so God begins working, he raises up a man named Gideon, and he begins to use Gideon to push back against that false worship. And he's doing that, and I said, we're not going to look at that part of the story today. But then he's also going to use Gideon then, as they turn back to him, to deal with the Midianites coming in. But verse 33... Uh, we're on page 284 now. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abiezrites gathered behind him. That's people from that area. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. And they came up to meet them. So he gives notice to all these other tribes of Israel, and not to all of them, but to this group, and says, "Hey, we are in trouble. We need help. Come and help us." So let's look at this next map here. So what's happening? Here's the Dead Sea. The Midianites have come up, and rather than just coming over into Israel down toward Gaza, now they have come up to the north and come into what is called the Valley of Jezreel. It's a, a huge valley in the, the northern part of Israel, up near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And, yeah, so let's go ahead and go to the next map as well, if you would. So what's happened is the Midianites have come out up here, and they are camping in this valley, and Gideon has called the the northern tribes of Israel here to come, and actually probably central tribes, but to come and to help him. And so this is the situation. This is mountainous area, and this is where they are, and out here on the plain are where the Midianites are. And do I have a picture there next? Yeah, okay. So here, go back just a moment. Thank you. So what you're going to see here is a picture that's taken from about right here, okay, that I was able to take this summer when we were in Israel. Go ahead and go to the next one. So here we are on this outcropping coming up here. This is the Valley of Jezreel on this end of it, okay, way out here. what's happened is you have 135,000 Midianites camped out there. You know, on the way into the land to take the land. We know that from a later verse. It tells us that. And then we have Gideon and his armies back up here in the mountains, okay? And he had, uh, what, 32,000, I think, total. And so looking out across there, you can imagine that, all right? So um, this is the situation, and it's kind of a dire situation. So let's, let's go over to chapter 7 now and get into our actual story we want to consider. It says, then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, it's another name that he was called, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. Go back to that last picture if you would, Mitchell. There you go, thank you. Uh, oops, I hit the right button. So. Just you know, when we, we were um, there this summer, we were going to go to the place where this, this well of Herod and, and see all that. And when we pulled up to do it, we couldn't do it because the Israeli army was having an event and exercises there, okay? So we weren't able to do that. So we had to go on down the road. And that's, that's where we are, down, down the road. Right around the other side of this hill here is uh, the well of Herod. And that's uh, where these events are taking place, okay? And so... Uh, Go on down to the next map or the next picture there. There you go. So this is taken from the same place, okay, looking the other direction, looking west. And it talks about the hill of Morah here. I'm pretty sure that this is the hill of Morah on the other side. So the Amalekites are all camped down in here. And Gideon and his armies are up here on the, the mountains, the small mountains that are there. All right. So 135,000, 32,000, verse two. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. 32,000, 135,000. Wouldn't you think that if if God had worked, which he was going to work apparently, and delivered them from the Midianites, the 32,000 going against 135,000. Wouldn't you think when all was said and done that the Israelites would have gone, wow, God did an amazing thing here today. Wouldn't you think that? But what's God say? No, no, there's too many of you because I know you. What will you do? You 32,000 will go against the 135,000 and I'll work and I'll make sure they get defeated. I'll make sure you win and you're gonna come back and say, yeah, look what we did, right? And that is our tendency to think that we are the, we tend to think we have a lot more control of life than we really do. We tend to not consciously think about how much God is at work around us in life and forget those things. And so so God says 32,000, that's too many. You see, uh, let's go to that that next point if we can, Mitchell, the first point that I have there. God wants us to know how completely dependent we are on him. He wants us to know it. Why does he want us to know it? Why does God wants to know that, you know, you, you are dependent on me. You, you're desperately lost without me. You need me. You know, from a human perspective, so what's it got? Some kind of power complex, right? <laughs> you know, everybody's, not at all. As he knows that this is what's best for us. What is best for us is when we understand how completely we dependent we are on God. Because that makes us make different choices. When we understand that we are completely dependent on God, it it affects how we look at things, it affects how we we think about things, and that affects then how we do things. And so God wants us to know how completely dependent we are on him because that's what's best for us. That is what is going to do the greatest, uh, positive things in our lives. And so when we um, forget this, you know what God does? He lets things come into our lives that remind us. Um, I kind of get this sense. Uh, have you ever, as a parent, if you're a parent, or maybe you've experienced it as a child, have, have you ever had your, your child you know, wanting to do something, needing to do something, and you're, you're, you're there to help them because you know they need your help, and you're going to help them, and they say what? No, 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 no. I'm going to do this myself. And sometimes we know, hey, if I let you do this yourself, you're going to get hurt bad. I'm not going to do that, and you intervene. But have you ever reached a point where you say, well, yeah, they're probably going to fall, but, you know, they'll live. (laughs) Okay, you want to do it on your own? Go ahead, try. And what do they do? Crash and burn, right? Um, I think God does that with us sometimes. He says, you want to do this on your own? Go ahead. That's an ugly place to live, let me tell you. I know it from personal experience and from watching uh, a bunch of other people do that in their lives from time to time. So God says here, uh, I've got to deal with this. If, 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 if I let things go the way they are, you're going to not understand that I am the one who's at work here. I am the one you need. I am the one you need to depend on. And you've forgotten this and you've led, brought in these other gods and other things into your life that you're depending on. By the way, I, I already kind of mentioned, but can you think right now, just try to be real honest with yourself before God. Are there areas of your life where you're more dependent on something or someone than you are on God? This is the kind of thing we're talking about here today. All right, so let's continue. Verse number three. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. That's another name for where they were. And 22,000 of the people returned. And 10,000 remained. Uh, So, I mean, it makes sense. Hey, there's 135,000 out there and there's 32,000 of you. Any of you guys afraid? Yeah, okay, you guys can go home. Go home. And he sends 22,000 home. 10,000 left. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. (laughs) Can you imagine what Gideon must be thinking? What would you think? Um, We weren't too many 22,000 ago. (laughs) And now you're saying 10,000, we're still too many? Yeah, because God knows. He wants them to understand how completely dependent they are on him. The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. Um, And so God continues to weed them down. Verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps." You shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And so, I'm not going to demonstrate this, but right, some of them got down on their knees at the source of water and were, you know, bringing water up. And the other ones apparently just kind of crouched down and and scooped up the water. Like a dog licks last water. Now to me, I wouldn't pick those guys. You're weird. (laughs) Are you with me on that, Right? You drink, you drink, kind of strange here, um, and so. But what happens? He says, "Separate those." In verse six, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink. So nine thousand seven hundred people drank that way. They were the normal ones. Okay. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So God has weeded it down to 300. If there is any hope of success, who has to work? You guys out there? God has to work if there's absolutely any hope of success. Now, we tend to avoid this kind of situation as much as we possibly can. Don't you try to avoid situations where you aren't in control? Uh, Really? I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are, are you're with me here today? Don't we tend to avoid situations where we don't have control? Where we have to trust somebody else, right? And the the more important it gets, like in the fall, right? The, The more concerned we are when we aren't in control. Well, God has brought his people here to the place where what? They are absolutely, completely out of control. They have no control over the situation, do they? Do they have any control over the outcomes? No, I mean, just from any human perspective, this is a 450 to one situation. Interesting, so I figured that out, did the math, 450 Midianites to every one Israelite. And it's kind of interesting because later on in the Bible we find the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. There were 450 prophets of Baal in one Israelite. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if God likes these odds or what. But he brings in a place where th- there's absolutely no hope of success if God doesn't do something. And I want you to say that that is the address God wants us to live at in our lives. He wants us to live with an awareness that if God does not work, we cannot do anything that really matters. We can't accomplish anything that really matters. We can't accomplish anything with eternal results. Right? If we are not depending on God. And so God brings his people here to that place where it is so clear to them, and by the way, not just clear to them, but importantly, clear to who? To us as well. To a place where they have to be absolutely, completely dependent on God. Now, <clears throat> do you think that Gideon, might be a little nervous now. I mean, we'd like to say he's just a great man of faith and he is a man of faith, let me tell you, as we watch what he does, and if we'd read what he'd already done. But he's a man of faith who has fears. He really does. He shows up earlier in the story with some fear. He's trying to do what God says, but he's afraid. And I think we understand that. But wouldn't that encourage you to know that you can be a person of faith and still find yourself fearing? The idea is that when you fear, you don't have to beat yourself up. The question is not, do I understand how God is going to do this? I mean, didn't we see what, what was the solution to the walls of Jericho? Do what? Do what? Walk around them. Oh. <laughs> doesn't make sense to me, but that's what God says. God says, here, hey, let's get down just to 300. Okay, doesn't make sense to me either. And so I can get fearful. But here's the deal. I don't, when I'm depending on God, my concern is not how God is going to do this. My concern is, am I being faithful? That's all I have to worry about. You know what I mean? Really, that's, and you understand, that's always all you ever have to be concerned about. I, I, my natural tendency is when I have a problem that I have to deal with and I look at it, my natural tendency is to think about it and study it and to figure it out and why it's happened, what's it, And if we do this, this will happen, this. And, and I want to know six steps down the way how this is going to go before I feel like I can do it. And God really had to work me over on that to where he finally says, you know what, you don't need to know all of that. You don't need to know exactly how it's gonna go, what's gonna happen. He says, All you need to know is, what are you supposed to do right now? That's all? That's all. Just be faithful to what I've told you you need to do. Do that, depend on me for the rest, okay? And so that's where God has brought Gideon and the people of God to here. So let's, uh, let's read on, verse nine. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp for I have delivered it into your hand. Go for it, you th- there's 300 of you now, go, go get them. <laughs> verse 10, but if you are, what's the next word? But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant and you shall hear what they say and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pur, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And so the Lord recognizes that Gideon is fearful and he makes provision for it. This is so encouraging to me that God cares about our feelings. God cares about our feelings. Now, many times when I'm preaching, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back on feelings for you, okay? Because I'll tell you, look, God cares about your character a whole lot more than your comfort, whether you're feeling comfortable or not. You know, God cares much more about you being faithful than how you feel, okay? And I push back on that because, and the reason it is because so often we let our feelings control us. And yet at the same time here, God cares that it's hard for us. God cares that we have feelings, that we find ourselves fearful. And so in this situation, he gives Gideon, he says, here's the deal. I want you to sneak down to the camp. You know, at night, sneak down around the edge of the camp, out to the outer, and and listen to what they're saying. And we're going to see how that works. But for us, you know, God cares about what we're saying, and and, and rather than telling us, go down to the camp and listen, what he says is, open up your Bible and listen. I know you're afraid of this. I know you're worried. Open up your Bible and and listen. Talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ and listen. Talk with me. Pray and and then listen. Because I care about how you feel. And I'm going to help you with these feelings. But again, you've got to do what I say. Even there, how how, how does God expect Gideon to get help with his feelings? He has to do what? Guy says, you want to help with your feelings? You go do this. So what does Gideon have to do? Go do this. And so once again, what is our responsibility? Just to be faithful to what God has told us to do. All right, so let's look at what happens here. Verse 12. So Gideon is snuck down there to the camp with his servant. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp." So Gideon gets down here and finds out that they're having dreams about this. They're having nightmares about this situation. They were there to steal all the barley grain. That's why they had come up. And, and so what they're seeing, they're in a the dream that this, this barley grain is turned into a, a loaf of barley bread and it tumbles into the camp. And this word that's translated, tumbled, I's the same word that 's used to describe when a sword is being used like this back and forth and back and forth, and so he saw this come in and roll in and knock down the tents and but isn 't interesting The me, the, the interpretation is what? this is, this is the gideon <laughs> we 've heard about this Gideon, and God is with Gideon, and they already believe what that, that they are defeated, they, they are maybe superstitious, whatever but they believe that they are in big, big trouble. And that's, by the way, when your enemy's really scared, scared to the point of almost irrationality, that's good for you, all right? So Gideon, let's go see what happens. Verse 15, and so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped, he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he, came, then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet with every man's hand, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. So they had a trumpet, they had a pitcher, and they had a, a, like a candle, a, a lamp inside of that pitcher. You couldn't see it, but it was down inside there, and their swords. He says, When I blow the trumpet and I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, right? He knows that they're afraid of that. And then this is, so let's go to the the next slide there, Mitch. Um, Actually, I'm gonna pass that now. Let's go to the, there we go. I don't know for sure uh, how this works, but it says that Gideon divided his men into three Parts, And my guess is that they're on the mountainside here and they're up here on the hill of Moray here and then maybe snuck down out in the front of the valley here, these three places. And they are there with their, their pitchers and their trumpets. And um, whenever he says what we're going to do is we are going to break the pitchers, so all of a sudden there are lights. And then Everyone, we're, we're all going to blow our trumpets together. The ram's horn, the shofar, we're gonna blow that. It's really loud, can be heard a long ways. It's, it's kinda, sometimes a little freaky listening to the thing. Um, but what's gonna happen? Typically, there would be one person with the commander who would do the trumpet and then what? All of the troops you know, would respond, whether it's a go forward trumpet or whatever. And so a hundred, I mean 300 trumpets are gonna be going once. How many people are they gonna think there are? Thousands upon thousands, that's right. And they're already scared to death. And then they're gonna hear this cry, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay, this is God's plan, this is what God is doing. And what do Gideon and his men have to do? They have to do what God has told them to do. It's interesting, Gideon, is Gideon depending on God? Well, he is, but he still had to make a plan. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Gideon had to make a plan, and as he made this plan, he's what? Acknowledging. We are dependent on the Lord. We are dependent on the Lord. We're dependent on the Lord. All right. So let's read on. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outposts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp referring to Gideon's people. They stood in their place around the camp and the whole army, the Midianites, ran and cried out and fled, and they took off. Uh, the enemy turns and runs. Yeah, let's go ahead and read verses 23 through 24. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. Do you see what's happening? They are so crazy, it's the middle of the night dark, they sleep, asleep, they wake up, to this instant terror, and they begin swinging their swords at whoever's around them, and they start killing each other in the process. This whole chaos that many of them kill each other as they run away. Uh, and then it says, and the army fled to Beth Acacia towards Zerira as far as the border of Abel-Mahola by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh and pursued the Midianites. So all these places come back and join. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize from them the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Bethbara and the Jordan. So let's go to that next map there. So what's happening here is Gideon has routed them. The Midianites have taken off and Gideon is in hot pursuit. These guys who had been sent home, they receive word and they come and join the battle. Gideon sends word to the Ephraimites down here and says, hey, come down here. I want you to secure all the watering holes that these guys have taken from you. So not only is God delivering them from this present thing, he is fixing problems that happened in the past as they depended on him. And as you depend on God, not only will God deal with the issue you're facing now, as he does so, there's a high likelihood that he'll begin to unravel some of the problems from your past as well. God is good, he is very faithful and good. And so, read on down the story, we discover that Gideon, I mean, Israel has peace now for 40 years, for 40 years. And so, here's what I wanna leave you with today. And you can see it's been throughout this story. And you have to forgive me, every now and then I make a little rhyme. Hopefully to help you remember, listen. Depend on God instead of you and watch the amazing things he'll do. Depend on God instead of you and watch the amazing things he'll do. But how do we depend on God? How do we do that? Well, we've already started learning about it last week. We depend on God by doing what God says the way he says. That's a step of faith, isn't it? Okay, God, I'm going to depend on you. You said to do this. I'm going to do what you say, and I'm going to do it the way that you say it. And then we do what God says no matter how we feel about it. Now, God's the help with our feelings, but we're going to do what God says no matter how we feel about it. And we depend on God by really stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and saying, Okay, God, I surrender my life to you. My life is yours. My life is to do with as you please. You, you let me know what you want me to do. I will do it. And we need to do that and live that way. That's how we depend on him. Because if I'm going to hang on to my life, I'm not depending on him. If I say, God, really, whatever. And, and I've, I've shared this before, but I remember sitting in my, my bedroom early in the morning. The sun was just up. I'm probably 20 years old, 21 years old. I don't remember. Wrestling with these kinds of issues. And I said, okay, God, my life is yours. Whatever, whenever. Wherever, however, and whatever other adversities there are. And surrendered him. Now, I've been challenged. I haven't always lived that way, but I keep going back to that, right? I have surrendered my... I have to depend on God. You have to depend on God. You fool yourself when you think you don't need to depend on God. And you end up places you don't really want to be. When you don't depend on God. And when you do depend on God, there's never a time in your life when you are saying, God, I'm depending on you. I am following you. I'm going to do what you said here. And the way you said it, I I know I'm still, but I'm going to do it. I'm surrendered to you. I'm depending on you. There's never a time when you do that, that God will not already be at work in the circumstances all around you, preparing, working, just like he did here with Gideon. I guarantee you, you've never experienced when you depend on God that God isn't already working on your behalf. In more ways than you know. And so this, the picture's like this. So let me just give you an example for me. So I want to talk about depending on God to prepare and to preach a sermon. All right? I, have, you know, I talk to God and pray, what do you want me to preach on this coming you know, summer or whatever? And ideas come, and I talk sometimes with Pastor Dave about it, and my wife and others. Sometimes we talk. And, and eventually I have to make a decision. And I haven't ever gotten any. Uh, you know, telegrams or emails from God. Okay? So I have to make a decision. And I make the decision this way, okay, God, I, I'm t- depending on you for this decision. And I make the decision, depending on God to work. Okay? Then I have to study, right? I have to study, I have to learn the information. I say, God, what's, what do you want us to know here? How, how do you want us to, you know, what do you want us to focus in on? And, what's, and then how should I word that? And, and you know, sometimes I rolling on, I think every now and then I stop and say, okay, wait a minute, God, God, I need you to, to work here. Uh, you know, and I don't always know how he's working. I gotta make the decisions, I still make the plan. And then I come and preach it, and I preach it to you. And I say, you know, God, please speak to your people what you want them to hear. You know, use what I'm saying, whatever, how you want to do it, but I'm dependent on him. And, and I ask him, even today, I ask him again, God, would you remind me that as I'm speaking today that you are speaking to your people the things you want them to hear? may not be exactly what I'm saying, but you're speaking, you're speaking. And a little while ago when I was reading the text, he reminded me of that. See, he's having to depend on God. It's not magic stuff, it's just believing Him and doing the best we can with it. When you go to work, I gotta, I gotta go to, you say, I gotta go to work tomorrow and live like a Christian there. How do I do this? Okay, God, I'm going to work today and I got duties and I got this person here and that situation here. God, just work in my life. Help me to make the right choices. Help me to have the right attitudes. Help me to, and you just keep working at it. And when you forget and you remember, oh yeah, and you go back to it. But see, what am I doing? What are you doing? You're depending on God. And the, the really, the, the actual, Uh, actual test that you can look at and see is am I doing what God says the way he says? And if I'm doing that, I'm depending on God and doing that, then I'm depending on God. And God is much at work. You know, same thing, you're in a relationship, a difficult, difficult relationship, whether it's family, whether it's marriage or whatever it is, and you say, oh God, I, this just seems like it's out of control and I don't know what to do with it, but God, I need you to work. I realize you're reminding me with this how dependent I am on you because man, I can't change this other person's heart. I don't know what to do. Maybe it's my heart that needs to change. God, I need you to work. We need you to work. And then you, the best you can, acknowledge him in all your ways and do what you think he's saying to do, right? Do it. And depend on him. And when you depend on God, you are in such a good place. God can work. God, when you depend on God, God will be honored. Because you will be giving him his rightful place, yielding to him his rightful place in your life. When you depend on God, he will work in your life. You will experience God's blessings in your life. And you'll have amazing stories to tell. God's stories. Testimonies of how God has worked in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are absolutely dependent on you whether we realize it or not. And Lord, there are probably some people here today who are absolutely dependent on you. Very conscious of it. And I'm so thankful for that. Such a blessing to have them in our lives. And Lord, then there are those of us here who are probably not depending on you fully. We've allowed other things into our lives that we're putting in your place and allowing to govern our decisions and our feelings. God, make it very clear to us if that's what we're doing. Um, I pray, Father, that as we leave here today, that we will go out of here with an awareness that we are are dependent on you and that we will consciously make choices to depend on you by doing what you say the way you say to do it. And we look forward to your working in our life as we do. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.